Welcome one and all to the somewhat annual, unofficial, official, non-Academy Awards Awards for 2020, which means the year of 2019. And uh, I'm Paul, and we are here once again with Baron Byron. How are you guys doing? <laughs> hey, Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, it's uh, been become an annual thing that we do this. How, how's it all going? How is the center of the movie-making industry over there in Ohio, USA, sir? Um, well, I can tell you that so many films are not being made right now. It's amazing. Um, yeah, no, it has been a little bit hectic. Um, in fact, this is actually going to be the first podcast released on our feed in some time because I have had a lot going on with work and stuff. So it's good to actually be back and doing this again. Well, that's kind of what we found, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, with, with time bound to the house and watching films, we thought, well, why not make use and we'll try and get back to back in front of the mics. And uh, we know it's June. Obviously, we normally try and do this around like awards season, you know, January, February time um, for the for the for the films that came out last year. So we, we thought we'd keep you on the edge of your seats and, and make you wait till June for our uh, for our consensus of those films. But uh here we are. It's only taken us six months to get round to it. So, yes. Shall we yeah, kick straight into it? Or do we want to explain anything? Or should we, should we just kick straight in? I mean, why would we ever explain anything? <laughs> Surely everyone has listened to our entire back catalogue. I hope they have. <laughs> okay, well, in that case, we've got 10 awards for you. 10, 10 nominations. Um, and we're going to start tonight with uh, Best Female Actor. Uh, of, and remember, these are films of 2019. Um so, without further ado, I'm going to announce this one. So, Best Female Actor of 2019. The nominations are Samara Weaving, Ready or Not, Rosa Salazar, Alita Battle Angel, Michelle Dockery for The Gentleman, and Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. And the winner for Best Female Actor goes to... Rosa Salazar, Alita Battle Angel. Yay! Yay. Byron's not clapping. Byron's not clapping. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rosa Rosa Salazar, I think the right winner for this uh, category, personally. Um, I voted for her. Paul voted for her. And that's all you need. <laughs> and that's all the information you need to know. Um, yeah, so, Paul, what, 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 uh, why did you nominate uh, Rosa? Uh, well, I would say I was trying to think back over the films that I had been able to see. And really, these two, the two that I put forward, which uh, with Samara Weaving and Rosa Salazar, were the two that really made an impact for me. Um, ready or not, I, I thought, wonderful film, and she did very well in it. Uh, but Alita, Battle Angel, and just watching Alita throughout that film, I felt that she gave such a brilliant performance that uh, to not, at the very least, put her forward would have been a mistake. So, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy that she ended up winning for this one. I'm, I completely agree. I'm going to let Byron go in a minute, but uh, but obviously <laughs> listeners will, will might be interested to... We, we did a podcast not that long ago on Alita where we sort of had a split a split of opinion. We, we kind of highlighted some of the problems that, that we had on the film. Um, but, but I don't think, for me... Um, Rosa Salazar was one of those problems you know I, I thought the film was a challenging role I thought it had some interesting uh, uh, characterization around it and I thought yeah she was a rightly winner a right winner for this category although the film did have problems 
Byron, is there anything else you is, is is there anything you'd like to say on this uh, on this <laughs> category? No, I, I mean I'm, I I think this might come up later in the podcast um, for these awards, but I I did not love the Alita movie, and we did discuss that as you said on another podcast, and therefore I wasn't drawn to uh, nominating um, the actress on that one. I felt that um, there was just I don't know. For me, the look wasn't quite right. There's just a bit too much tinkering there. Um, and I didn't, yeah, it didn't lock onto me as uh, someone that I would have nominated for this female actor category, I'm afraid. Well, poor Rosa. If she was up here now standing with her but award... She would get the award you, for the boys, yeah. You would be yeah. saying that and she, her big her big eyes there would be all broken with what you're saying. So, poor Rosa. Yeah, anyway, um, right, right, rightly winner. Yeah, I'd say don't, don't worry too much... Like, you're perfectly entitled to be wrong. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we move on swiftly? Oh, yes, let's do that. Uh, it's, uh, next one up is Best Male Actor. And the nominees for this one are, in no particular order, uh, Christian Bale for Ford vs. Ferrari or Le Mans 66, I believe it was released as in England. Uh, George McKay for 1917. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the winner is... Christian Bale for Ford vs. Ferrari slash Le Mans 66. Yay! <laughs> Brilliant. I was, yeah, so, I was I so, this, so impressed by this role, this one. Yeah, I believe this one was not quite so hotly contested as uh, no. the previous one. Um, so what, uh, what was it about his turn uh, well for me it was um i mean i i I voted for both joaquin phoenix and christian bale on this one and and for me they they there really wasn't much in it if you if you're going to try and differentiate between the two um i just kind of felt like joaquin phoenix got a lot of love for joker from every you know for every awards board there was known to man and I felt like I, wa- I was a bit of a latecomer to this film. I only watched this film about two weeks ago. Um, and I was completely taken back by Christian Bale's performance in it. And I thought, God, he really, he really didn't get a lot of like, recognition for this, for this performance. And, and I thought, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's up there with the best of them. For whatever reason, it just didn't, it just didn't draw, uh, turn people's heads the same way that Joaquin did that year. So I felt for that reason, I, I, I wanted to put him forward for the, for the winner. Um, th- there's something about Christian Bale that he's the only he was the only one in that film that I didn't feel like I was watching Christian Bale I felt like I was watching the character you know it, there's something about the way he gets himself into a character which makes you fully sold on who you're supposed to be watching and and whether it's this or whether it was him in The Vice the year before or him in The Machinist or American Psycho or Batman there's something about him, the way he manages to sell a character over to you, um, that you just don't believe it's Christian Bale anymore. Yeah. Very, very shortly into the film. And, you know, I couldn't say the same. I, I like Matt Damon a lot, but I couldn't say the same about Matt Damon during that film. I was watching it thinking, this is just Matt Damon being Matt Damon. But Christian Bale feels like he's th- he is this character to me, telling this story. And I thought it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. How did you guys it's feel? Also not often, uh, it's also not often you get that particular accent, that kind of West Midlands, yeah. Brummie-esque accent as a, as a leading character. It's not exactly Hollywood's go-to, is it? Absolutely. 
Yeah, and how did I, that? How do you think that went for American ears? Did they do it? They could they could lock onto that accent, okay? Uh, I I feel like it's one of those things that if anyone had any real problem with it, it's just because they might have just not been around that accent enough to be able to fully understand every word that came out of his mouth. But I do think that just his performance would have broken through any of that really and uh and i the reason that i actually loved that film so much was the opening scene with him in it when he ends up just arguing <laughs> like just when he first starts really arguing uh right at the beginning and like how impassioned he is i was like this is going to be a good one yeah. and uh yeah he just powered through that film I, I genuinely didn't think I would like that film as, as much as I did. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not massively into car racing. I didn't know the story at all. So, and we won't yeah. spoil it now, but obviously go and check it out because I, as, as someone who didn't know the story, I didn't Wikipedia as I was going through. There was certainly three or four bits that happened throughout the film that I was not expecting. It, it wasn't the sort of the usual fairy tale endings to certain storylines that you're expecting. Um, but I thought it was just brilliant. And, and I thought it as much as his, I think if it was any other year, I think he would have been all over that year. I think it was just because he was up against Joaquin Phoenix who made all these statements about climate change. And he, he was really in the public eye that year, wasn't he? And he happened to do this brilliant role. I just think, unfortunately for Christian, I just think he kind of got left on the sidelines. So I, I think he, he was definitely uh, worth the mention this year. Yeah, and and I'll say apparently I really liked this film. I really enjoyed Senna when I ended up seeing that. Apparently, I'm a closet racing fan. Who knew? <laughs> Fair dues. Are we um, are we moving on, or is there anything else anyone would like to say about Christian Bale? Yeah, I think in that movie, the nice thing about it is it becomes quite apparent quite early on that you don't necessarily need to know much about cars or be a car person to enjoy the concept of the movie and the, and, the, and the battle and that man's mission to basically excel at what he does. And it's not a prerequisite requirement to know a lot about engineering and cars when they, dis, when they discuss stuff. And a lot of scenes are based in the, in the garage. As many as are on the track are in them working on the vehicle, working about how they're going to get the concept together to even have a shot at doing that race. And so it's as, it's as much as sort of a, a kind of a, a, a leadership corporate drama and a battle of egos um, as, as it is about vehicles and racing. But there was definitely a couple of heart-stopping moments in that movie where you really are on the edge. Mm. And my heart was racing a couple of times. And I thought, that's, that's pretty impressive. That's doing its job really rather well. So fair play to Christian Bale on that. Completely agree. Completely agree. Well... Yeah. In that case, then, let's move on to uh, Best Up-and-Coming Actor. This is Byron's going to take this one. All right. So the nominations for the Best Up-and-Coming Actor. We have Clara Ruggard in I Am Your Mother, Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit, and Julia Butters for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the winner... But best up and coming actor is Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. 
I think this was a, a pretty unanimous decision from all three of us, really, wasn't it? I mean, in fairness, Paul, we have to thank you because uh, m- myself and Byron only saw this film about 24 hours ago. Um, and you were like, just just, just watch it and then you'll change your mind on the category. Um, and I, for one, certainly did and went, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a win, isn't he? Because he's brilliant, brilliant little boy. <laughs> Lead completely leading that film, uh, Jojo Rabbit. This is um, Byron. Is that how you felt? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of pressure to 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 be like the actor's like a ten or eleven years old, so it's pretty much in keeping with the timeline of the character age. So it's not one of those sneaky ones where they've actually got an actor who's actually quite a bit older but has a really young face, and that happens quite a bit in Hollywood. No, the, the guy's actually that young, and so to have those people left and right of you making a movie with you i can't imagine the level of uh concentration you've got to have to operate um and the expectation on you in that position considering who you're stood next to i mean you've got like scarlett johansson there man and then you've got sam rockwell and um yeah and then the director who is also one of the producers who is also uh, your next sort of counterpart actor as well. So this is like nowhere you can hide in that movie mm. if you're that guy. So it was pretty impressive for that for that kid to, to, to pull that off all the way through. And I was like, yeah, it's solid. Want to see what he does next. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting following that one up because I mean, imagine that you are a, a young actor that relatively new onto the scene getting a role like this in a film like this again <laughs> like, uh like one of one of the scenes that really stands out to me in this film is the fact that and he's not even prominent in the scene but he is still there and you kind of see him in the background reacting to it it's the heil hitler scene which anyone that's seen it will remember it's there's just a round robin of heil hitler as uh, sam <laughs> rockwell comes in when the gestapo are there and uh, like it's one of the most tense scenes in this comedy film about a kid who has an imaginary friend who is Hitler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he does so well because he knows what's in the house. He knows what's on the line. And he's just trying to be a normal kid. And it's it's really cool to watch him throughout the film where you really do buy. He is struggling with he is a Nazi. He is a Nazi. He is definitely a Nazi. That is how he is rated. He is a Nazi. Except everybody that is next to him is definitely not. And how do you, how do you come to grips with that? And he sells it really well. Yeah, I have to say <clears throat> that this is um, really good work from Taika Waititi, who I've oh, been yeah. previously been critical of in the past. And it seems that when he gets the right movie, it's or the right series, it's amazing when he's in his element. When he's sort of shuttled into other areas, I don't know how well it goes for him. Like I, I, I don't know how well his comedy, his humour comes across. But when he's allowed to completely operate something and just con- control it, like the whole product start to end, I think it actually goes a lot better than when he's sort of imported into something. Can you just do that thing that you do? You know, that kind of thing you do where you do that little spin for us. For me, that never works well. I know you guys don't agree with that, but for me, that always seems to slightly misgroove it. But when he's allowed the complete project, I seem to get like... I, I seem to enjoy it so much more um, and he's able to shape every character the way he wants to get the weighting of the delivery for each one so everything kind of makes sense then yeah I agree and uh, watching this I, you know I, I, cu- I couldn't agree more with you about his um, d- 
direction of this film because I, I thought it was I thought it was magic to be honest. I, I thought he still managed to get his kind of that that level of comedy, but then there was some really heavy there was some really dark heavy scenes in this as well, which I I really wasn't expecting actually. Um, and again, we won't spoil it now. We, we won't spoil the films, but but there was... No, some... let's spoil it. No, because we're not doing in-depth <laughs> reviews. So I, I want people to go away and go, oh, okay, well, if they're talking so highly of this, I'll go and watch it. Um, but there was some really heavy stuff that I didn't, I wasn't expecting from, you know, the way it's set up and, and it's all kind of jolly and, oh, we're having, we're doing lots of comedy and lots of fun. Suddenly it's like, it really hits you, you know, because you're like, because you're, you're lured into this sort of, false sense of security and then so when those powerful scenes happen you're like oh my god you know it, you're really not expecting it so I, I was really impressed with him I genuinely think he'll be like Tarantino of comedy in 20 years I, I, I think he'll I think he'll be this gold ticket director that people will want to do and he'll only do projects that he's very very serious and passionate about the same way Tarantino does and he'll build his style and his you know the, his his directorial ways the same way Tarantino has, and I bet you in twenty years' time he'll have this amazing body of work to look back on, and 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 we'll look back, and he'll just be considered one of one of the great directors, the same way that those few are now: Oliver Stone, Tarantino, Spielberg. You know, he'll be up there. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, it's it's, too, it's it's kind of too soon to tell, isn't it? Because it could go that way. Or it could sort of be flash in the pan, and then he is the thing of the moment. I, I think it's going to go the way you said, Bear. I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I liked about the movie, just before we just before we move on, is that I was just looking at the the, the list and trying to kind of run a, an analysis on it, and it's interesting because virtually all the actors are, are doing comedy, apart from the children who are told to basically you are in the hit the youth. Basically, mm. so you need to be serious. You're going to get blown up, and you're his friend, and you just play it pretty much play it straight as what little kids, little boys would do. And everyone else that's not a child actor, be comedy. <laughs> so it kind of, it, it's interesting because you see the mechanism kind of operates around them. Yeah. You know, the whole sort of thing turn, turn, mm. rotates around them and they just sort of have to stay still in the middle of it and do the, and, and get the part there. I, don't, I find that quite interesting to observe it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say, I, I know one person I talked to about this film found it very difficult to believe at the start that it was made by the same person who did what we do in the shadows. Uh, but I was thinking about it. If you actually go back and watch what we do in the shadows, yeah, it, you know, full on comedy. <laughs> loads of stuff there, but it does also touch on some of those darker moments at times. And I feel that it's something that is probably going to be an undercurrent in his work. He's going to do the humor with something else there. That's mm. really going to score it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing whatever he does next. But those, I know the moments you're talking about that we're not allowed to talk about because Bear's blocked that. But, <laughs> um, but the, this is what this is what I like about it because th this is what I'm saying. This is where I've had fallings out with this guy in other movies where where you weren't he wasn't allowed to do that. So here you get one of the really serious moments. There's probably about three or four really pretty serious moments in the movie, and he he lets you have that moment and he lets you completely absorb within it. Pause. And then he moves on. Whereas I think in the past, when he's been shuttled into movies where he's been told to, right, this is it, you're in here doing this now. It's they try to cut too soon and try to make a joke of it and say, now put your humour here, right here. And I reckon he's, I, I, now I'm starting to understand him a bit more. I think he does know what he's doing. And I think he does know how to do this. And sometimes he's sort of, I say, there's been a bit of interference in some things. And here he's got, 
he's he's positioned himself deliberately like this so he can be an auteur and just control everything because he knows exactly what he wants to do so people can't mess it up for him and i think that's a good really good sign which is why i'm leaning towards what bear, bear said that it will be i think in 10 years he will be like just a, a one to follow no matter what yeah. you know like the cohen brothers you know yeah. just watch it whatever it is watch it yeah agreed he's uh he's one to watch and 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 we haven't supported it, so if you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, go and check it out. It, it was one that sort of snuck in at the Oscars. Um, did win a few. Didn't win any of the big ones, I don't think. Um, but it, it, it snuck in there, so it's it's had its recognition, but uh, it's definitely worth a watch. So Brilliant. Let's move on then. So our next category is Best Documentary, which is a new one for us, and um, <laughs> so new that we had barely any... <laughs> <laughs> barely any idea what to put in there so um so without further ado um here's the four nominations for best documentary um the nominations are hail satan the amazing jonathan documentary the imagineering story and the great hack and the winner for best documentary of 2019 goes to the imagineering story yay now, I think I think I need to take the lead on this one because I don't think either of you have seen it, have you? I have. <laughs> oh, you have. Okay, fair enough. I know Byron hasn't, and I, it's probably not his sort of thing. But um, this is the story that uh, it's a documentary about Disney, Disney World, Walt Disney, um, and and specifically the Imagineers, as they're called, which are the sort of the engineers, the designers, the people that made a lot of these ideas kind of a reality, whether it be in the theme parks or on film or whatever they're up against in terms of if they want to invent a new ride that needs to do something new that's never been done before, these are the guys they bring in to do it. And they're full-time Disney guys. They're not contractors. They work for Disney to create these problems, uh, solve these problems, sorry. <laughs> um, I have to say, um, given the fact that, you know, I'm a Disney fan and obviously uh, everything I love is owned by Disney now and I was supposed to go there this year, but it got cancelled and I couldn't. Um, this series came at kind of the perfect time for me because it was just more like it just it kind of hit the spot, you know, because I just I wished I was there, you know, but I've never I've I've just never been more impressed with a group of guys who spoke so highly of Walt Disney and the way they went about doing things. You know, they went there, there's 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 this way and then there's our way and our way is always going to be better and we're always going to put more time and money and we're always going to try and get it perfect for the consumer whether it's a film audience or a person at a theme park um i don't know paul is, is that how you felt with it yeah i mean i uh, i've always been a fan of behind the scenes stuff anyway mm. so being able to see behind the scenes of this massive empire uh especially like Think, like, everyone in your minds that hasn't seen it, think about going to a Disney park. Think about the experience of that. And now imagine that when the first Disney park ever opened, when it first opened, the tarmac was not set yet. So mm. literally the benches and some people were slowly sinking into the tarmac as they were walking their way around. And it was because Disney was still doing stuff and still thinking about this stuff up until opening day. Yeah. And so it was just ready for opening when it opened. It opened for, I think it was like a third of the people they thought would turn up, which still wasn't anywhere close to full capacity. No. And yet it just kept going and kept building. And this department is insane. And uh, th there's a couple of 
moments throughout the documentary where you start to see, oh, they had to deal with that. I'm like, that's so odd. You wouldn't imagine that now. And of yeah. course, we have the benefit of hindsight of how well they've done. But yeah, some of the things that they had to deal with were insane. So yeah, it was, it was a really good look behind the curtain. I agree. And um, if, if there's anything, you know, people are often criticized, companies are often criticized for not thinking about the future, not, not making themselves future proof. And, and I always, I, I applauded them throughout this series in, in the sense that it's, it's like they could see into the future, you know, um, and, and they, and they knew, you know, when they were building this place in the sixties, they were building it for what they're having to deal with now with the numbers they're dealing with now and the car parks. And, and this was all thought about then. And it's like, that takes a, a, a keen mind and, imagination anyway byron i know you've not seen it i i think you should give it a watch because you like paul loves behind the scenes stuff you love to know how things work and you like to know yeah how much i like how much goes into something and how much thought goes into something and whether that thing is good or bad or it it, it strikes a hit or is a flop it, it's still nice to know do you know what i mean the planning process and i think i think you'd get a lot of delight out of watching watching this well, I'm fascinated by the logistics of things and mm. how they make these things happen. You know, it's, it, there's always something to be learned from a good documentary. Yeah, definitely. And even if it's even if it's you learn that's the way you wouldn't do something, you know, you, there's always an opportunity to learn. You know, to learn both ways there. Yeah, yeah. and I, I should have and, said at the beginning because this was this series was ex this is exclusively streaming on Disney Plus, which was their kind of one of their big ticket items when they released Disney Plus in America back at the end of the year. Um, they sort of said like we've got this series we've got other we've got the Mandalorian we've got other bits and pieces that we've made especially for this um, streaming site so come over and, and enjoy and and that was pretty much the first thing me and my wife watched and I was like yeah this is great <laughs> wow so yeah um, I was I was plus it hit the spot not being able to go there this year so um, you know yeah. I look one um, one thing I actually learned uh, my my father-in-law being a Disney Vacation Club member, he was actually telling me something that, as you said, like the fact that they're so forward-thinking. Um, uh, Epcot. If you've ever been to Epcot, you know the size of Epcot. You know what that's like. Full capacity at Epcot is one hundred and twenty thousand people. <laughs> the most they have ever done in one day is sixty-four thousand. Yeah, like they they have built this park to never be at full capacity <laughs> and yet it's just so well made and there's so many things that are just constantly running uh so most rides you're not waiting too long <laughs> for yeah um so yeah it, it's amazing well disney fans out there go and check it out it's on in, on disney plus brilliant series um but you know uh yeah, it's 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 great. We've we've said it all. So uh, let's 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 move on. Byron, I think you're going to take the next uh, category. The next category we'll be announcing is the category for best series. This is television series, and the nominations for this category are as follows: The Expanse, The Umbrella Academy, Good Omens, Chernobyl, and The Mandalorian, and the winner. The best series of 2019 is Good Omens. Yay. So, quite a few hearty nominations here, and uh, even The Mandalorian crept in. However, didn't win. Good Omens did win. say, don't sound too disappointed at that. Yeah, I wasn't uh, discussing the Mandalorian. It was 
it, first of all, initially it wasn't what I expected. Um, the man, I can't remember who built it up, but someone built it up to me. Bear, it might have been you, it might have been someone else, but someone built it up that The Mandalorian was going to be a lot more uh, edgier and kind of like not trying to take on anything like Game of Thrones, but it's also not trying to be like, you know, a bit softer. And when I started watching Mandalorian, it came out a lot softer than I than it was pitched to me by the by the writing of, of what I've been told was going to happen. And so, uh, yeah, it came out a little bit more like The Littlest Hobo to me when I watched it, <laughs> bearing in mind I thought going in, we were getting something that was going to be a little bit more, like, you know, tough and rough. And I thought, right, this is going to be interesting. But... I suppose what's happened is Disney have gone, okay, well, this is our platform. This is what we're going to put on it. We're launching it this year. We need something that is very, very family-friendly um, for our product. And they obviously made some decisions about that and decided to steer away from that kind of Netflix territory, that Stranger Things, darker kind of side of things that Netflix are becoming known for and go a little bit more towards the more uh, wider you know, thing that I guess Disney are known for in that in that respect, and for that reason, I was I didn't quite on the Mandalorian. I wasn't heartily enjoying it. You know, it was viewing that just sort of ticked over for me personally, guys. Um, so yeah, but Chernobyl was a whole another roller coaster. <laughs> I I love that so far we spent so much time on the series that definitely didn't win and and the other series that didn't win. <laughs> I can comment on uh, The Mandalorian, happy to. And I can comment on <laughs> Chernobyl, happy to, both my nominations. Can't comment on Good Omens because I've not seen it. So um, I'm happy to sit here and talk about how good I thought Chernobyl and The Mandalorian are, but I think that defeats the point of it not them not being the winner. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, Chernobyl was great. It was great. That's why I should have won. What? <laughs> <laughs> However, That's... Good Omens did. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and um, like us, yeah, it's it's interesting with this category because there's ones that we've each seen, and there's only a few overlap. Like I've not seen Chernobyl, but I have seen Good Omens and The Mandalorian, and so yeah, we've got ones that we can overlap with each. And I think uh, as we discussed a bit before with Chernobyl, it's a film, not a film, it's a series that uh, is very good. But you know you don't necessarily want to watch it again, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, you know, it's not something that you uh, would just kind of pop on on a Sunday afternoon with your kids. <laughs> it's, but uh, when it comes to the Mandalorian, like, again, uh, I would say very good, uh, very stylized. Um, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, uh, so I probably didn't get everything that was in it. Um, but, uh, like that one feels to me like, you know, definitely pandering to Star Wars fan. It was also very well done. A lot of good acting in it. But when it comes to good omens, um, I can't fault anyone in good omens. Like I thought all of the acting, all of the acting was fantastic. I mean, David Tennant and Michael Sheen, just, just amazing. And then it was, Obviously, they had Neil Gaiman involved. Um, I believe Terry Pratchett's daughter was also somewhat involved. Um, uh, not a huge amount, but just a little bit. Um, and it feels very much like that book, a, a modern adaptation of that book, but it feels like it. And it was just so 
well put together and a fully realized world. And I mean, David Tennant turning up in his car at the end is one of my favorite things in that entire thing. And I'm not going to say any more than that because people need to see it. (laughs) I think the way I described the Good Omen series was this is as close as I've ever been to perfect television. Oh, my God. In every way, literally perfect. What a statement! You know, in in the yeah, I know, I know. That's just how good Good Omens is in every aspect of it. Technically, the execution, every casting decision, every episode, the feel-good factor of it, the way it draws you in, the way that oh, about two or three episodes from the end, you know, you're near the end and you're desperate for it not to finish. You do anything to get another five episodes or a second series or anything for it. And it is literally perfect television. But one of the reasons we put it, because again, Chernobyl was a massive, massive series itself. But what I liked about Good Omens was that it's so very widely accessible to to people of all ages. And you can sit down and watch it with kids or you can watch it as adults. And it's just like phenomenally like successful in that regard in terms of the, 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 the scope and the capture, the reach that it has for viewing. It's just marvellous. I was just so, like, delighted to watch it. And as Paul said, I, like, Chernobyl, you learn. Oh, my God, you mm. learn. You know, you never... You go to work the next day, you don't complain about a damn thing after you've watched Chernobyl. Like, there's no event that will ever happen at work that you'll then complain about, <laughs> okay? But but you will also won't watch that series again once you've seen it once, I think, because it's, it's like being there. It's a bit too close to reality. Uh, so you see it once and that's it. I'm done. I've seen that now. But... Good Omens, I could see me rewatching it again and again because that lovely feel-good factor, it has that warming thing it has inside of your heart when you watch it. Love it. Are we likely to get more of it? Is there, is there going to be a series so. two? I think not because, I, as I understand it, Paul, double-check with this because I think you know this is only one book and that was it, one and done, right? Yeah, it, it was one book um, and there there are a few differences that they made uh, for adapting it. Which some of them were... Clearly, this worked better in TV. Some of it was, we're just going to change the plot slightly. It feels like this would be a better thing. Um, for instance, the final episode, there is something that happens in the final episode that is not in the books at all. Um, so, uh, can't say what it is right now because it is a spoiler. But um, but anyway, uh, but also Neil Gaiman has come out and said he is not interested in doing a sequel because that would mean he would have to write something that would emulate him and Terry Pratchett, and he doesn't feel like he could do that and he, that he should do that. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get another one. I don't want them to try um, because I feel like it is such a well-contained adaptation of this book and such a great series. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good yeah. with what we have. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. I'd like it just to stay in my imagination now and just and just I'll think about what they would have done next or what would have happened next. I think anything else would spoil it now. Um, so I'm with you on that one, Paul. Yeah, 100%. What an amazing series. Highly, highly recommended. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to watch it. All right. Now, moving on, it's time to go back to the United States for Paul to announce the next category. Yes. Uh, this one is uh, best minimal use of special effects or visual effects, as we like to say. Um, now... There has been, every single year I think we've done this, a little bit of a debate about what that actually means. <laughs> and we seem to have come to a dual consensus of it's either 
the best film that uses as little or none visual effects as possible, or the best use of visual effects in such a small capacity that you don't notice it, or it's not you know a big foreground thing. It's just a little thing that they've used to touch up and just to make things seamless. So we think that's what it is. Uh, feel free to write in if you have any complaints about the fact that we haven't figured that out yet. But uh, yes, our nomination for this field, we have John Wick 3 Parabellum, Rambo Last Blood, and El Camino. And the winner is... El Camino! Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Um, yeah, so, well, first I'll open it up to you guys. Uh, what did you guys think of it then? Well, I, I, I loved it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly sort of impressed and uh, surprised that we all put this in. <laughs> because this <laughs> film kind of felt so swept under the rug. It wasn't a huge, you know, cinema release of last year. It was just a kind of nothing film that just popped up on Netflix just to sort of end that story. And um, I was really, I was really kind of, yeah, impressed when we all put it down. <laughs> I was like, so firstly, it makes it easy. Um, yeah. But it's, it's nice that we all kind of obviously saw the same, the same, uh, you know, the same positives in this because I I loved it. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I love Breaking Bad anyway. Um, I think Breaking Bad's one of the, one of the best series I've ever seen. Um, I loved it. And I, and I think this was a perfect kind of epilogue, if you like, you know, just it, it didn't, it didn't need another eight series. It didn't need another like um, Jesse series. Do you know what I mean? That, 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 that would have been the temptation. Oh, let's, let's, let's do a Jesse series. Let's get four series out of it. And tell it, it didn't need that. It just needed just, just, just the next few days to just put a full stop and tell the story was perfect. Um, it was also a lovely way to bring back a few of the, of the lovely character, you know, some of the great, the, the better characters that we, uh, that we missed from the series. You know, it was, I just, I thought it was great all around. It, it didn't like, I read a lot of reviews saying, you know, this is stupid. There's no point to it. I was like, I completely agree with that, but I loved it all the same. You know, there, there, there is no point to El Camino other than it just kind of fills in a very short gap sh shortly after, shortly after the, the series. But I, I, I loved it for what it was you know, which was just a very straightforward story based on good dialogue, good acting. And as this category says, virtually no special effects, minimal uh, visual effects, anything. It was just, it was just acting and dialogue and, and, and interesting, interesting storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, and I will say it was, it was a shock to me when they announced this, cause you know, I was a fan of the series. Uh, I managed to, I managed to watch most of it um, up until the last half of the last series. I managed to catch it all on Netflix and then I had to wait like six months for them to drop that final thing. So I, I caught that. Oh. Um, and and then I was like, okay, well, if you've seen the series, you know, it ends in, you know, a certain way that was like, you know what? That feels like a good ending to the series. Feels like we've got as much as, we could get out of the characters and then they announced this and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, 
all right, sure, let's see how this goes. And I started watching it, and of course, Aaron Paul, fantastic. Just yeah. <laughs> really good in it. Uh, however, kind of stealing the show, uh, Jesse Plemons as well as Todd. Oh, uh, yeah. Such a brilliant character, especially there's one scene where you see him driving along, you know, singing, humming along to a song. And, you know, if you just hear that, you're like, well, it can't be that good. <laughs> you know, he's just singing along to a song. But it's like, when you know the full story of that scene, like, that is one of the creepiest things. And he just plays it so well. So, like, it was a, it was a really well-acted film. <laughs> Byron, have you got any uh, final thoughts to, to, to add for El Camino? Yeah, I think what I like about... Well, first of all, I couldn't find the damn thing. Because when you told me about the Breaking Bad movie, I was searching Breaking Bad, and it's not Breaking Bad, it's El Camino, and it completely threw me. So they didn't quite help themselves out. You said that it was unfound, you know, this series, or it was undiscovered. I, I know why, you can't find the son of a bitch. It's on there if you know what to type in. So I think one of the reasons for doing the movie, which is quite nice, is that it kind of clears the karmic debt that the character of Jesse had you know, that was around him following his internment in that camp. It was like, it was never really resolved. It was always like implied. And it was, and also the idea of the Brian Cranston character as well, Walt, just, just knowing what really happened there. Are we, are we clear on what, what came after that? And so I think it kind of shut that down quite, con, quite concisely <laughs> with one character's departure um, there's, so there's no doubt there's no there's no sneaky ah but there's none of that and then the story of well, what the hell what the hell is Jesse going to do what's the sort of next chapter of his life going to look like um, is he going to resume his old tendencies is he going to go on to something else and I, I found that really interesting to sort of because you're kind of rooting for him you know you're rooting for him to sort of get out, get out of that scenario even though technically he's like know mass produced drugs for the last few years so in a way he's, you shouldn't be rooting for him at all but you kind of are yeah so he's an anti-hero so i i think for me that i really enjoyed that and that, like i said there's a kind of a a kind of a karmic debt around him that needed to be clear and the nice thing about this movie is that it was done and now it's now it's put put to bed properly you know yeah agreed um it was it was a very good very well told story i'd just like to end this one by uh, giving a, a mention to Robert Forster, who played yeah. um, Ed, the the vacuum repairman, who also doubled as the sort of the... Now, sadly, the, the guy died, uh, but he died like a day... It was basically the day of the premiere of the film or, or a day around it. It was really close. So he did his part. He he saw the film through to the end and, and then he died because I think... Um, for those watching Better Call Saul, there was some speculation. He would he would have been an obvious choice of, of a small cameo to maybe feature in Better Call Saul. As Better Call Saul gets closer to the Breaking Bad timeline, he would have been a an obvious um, choice because of what he does and because of uh, in it, within the within the story. You know, the the, the um, he makes people disappear, doesn't he? Um, and I think he would have been an obvious choice for Better Call Saul because Saul was the one that introduces Walt to him in Breaking Bad. And and as uh, Better Call Saul gets closer to Breaking Bad, I think I, I think if he were still alive, I think we would have been seeing him in it. Um, but obviously he, the guy died and um, I think they had to probably rethink their plans for Better Call Saul. But 
Uh, it's just really sad because obviously it was nice to see him back. Nice to see that character get fleshed out a little bit more. Um, and I really enjoyed that scene um, between him and um, and Ed, the, uh, the 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 vacuum guy. Um, and it was really sad that he that he died. You know, like basically the day the film came out or, or the day after. I can't, I can't remember which one, but it was it was around the around the time. So yeah, just just a thought worthy mention of him. Wonderful. Um, shall we move on? Sure, I probably should. At this point. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's over to me for the next one. So now we're going to do, unlike the um, the ambiguity of the last one, we're doing best <laughs> use best use of visual effects for the next category. So this is the best use of special and visual effects within a film, um, and the nominees are Alita: Battle Angel, Pokemon: Detective Pikachu. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, 1917, and Avengers Endgame. And the winner of Best Use of Visual Effects is Elita Battle Angel. Yay! Come on, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll start on this one. Again, we, we kind of said a lot of this before when she won Best Female Actress, but I think this felt to me very separate from the other from the other uh, nominees in this category. This felt like the, the, the visual effects in this film felt did feel ab above and beyond. And, and again, I, I, we said before, you know, me and Byron podcasted this and, and the film had its problems and, um, and, and, and fair enough. But, but the visual effects in this film was something special and, and something you don't see every day in cinema. Um, the same way I think people felt about Avatar when that came out, you know, which had also James Cameron behind it. Um, so I think it was I think it was a right winner uh, for this uh, because that sort of cross pollination of, of CGI with with human actors and and some of the some of the fight scenes were 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 wonderfully choreographed in this as well as things like the I, I even forgot the sport now I corrected you on the podcast bar and now I can't remember what it's called hardball. The death ball, the the the, the sport they invented in the, <laughs> in the film, powerball, powerball. I can't remember. Either way, yeah. some of those sequences were. I just thought, you know, you don't see that every day in in cinema. You don't see that every day in film. So I think it was it was the worthy winner. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. Come on, Byron. Go on. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I, I, I so my one of my opening comments when we when we um, uh, unpacked the movie for the podcast um, was that I found it a bit too much. I, I think I described it there. Certainly in the opening scenes, it was just a bit too. It was just too tinkered with. And so I live with I live with someone who likes to paint. She's an artist, and she told me something very interesting about art a while ago. And she said to me that when you're painting, like let's say a landscape or whatever it is, it's very, very important to know when to stop the painting. In other words, you can keep adding and adding and a little bit more here and I'll just add this here and I'll add this here and ba 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 ba. And to me, visually, Alita felt like someone where the CGI team had just gone, well, just put a little bit more here, a little bit more there. And they just gone on and on and on and on and it was absolutely saturated with stuff. And that, to me, it was too much. It, it, it felt like they didn't know when to leave it alone and just tell the story. 
uh, and it was just a bit yeah it was just a bit too saturated with it for me so for me that I, I couldn't get into the visual side of things um, I suppose you guys when you're in the different scenes where you're talking more about the kind of the cyborg thing maybe that's more what you're kind of getting locked into for me it was more the big panoramic stuff that was just a bit too like just there's too much noise on screen you know what I mean <laughs> too much visual noise coming at me I suppose when you guys are referring to like the one-to-one -one, you know like the combat scenes and that I suppose that's maybe what you're more drawn to or, or not, you know, you tell me. I, I was going to say um, one of one of the scenes to me that really highlights what uh, myself and Bear have been talking about then uh, would be when you finally find out the truth behind Christoph Waltz's character and that you get to see that fight scene and that interaction. Like we're obviously uh, trying to be as uh, non-spoiler as possible with the weapon with Alita, with the people that they're up against. like uh, it's, it's such an amazing scene, and you really do feel the weight behind uh, the stuff that's going on. Um, and I don't know if maybe I thought I could give it a little bit of a pass if there was a lot going on, because if you know what the source material is, um, it is the, it's based on a manga, which like this film is in my opinion, like a fantastic adaptation from the manga to screen, which necessitates the use of this much visual effects. And I would say they did a brilliant job of doing that with the effect, which is why I would vote for this over something like of uh, the end game was in there. Um, like Marvel had been doing very well with the visual effects all the way through, but there's, I don't think there's ever been a point where I've watched the film and not gone well, that's a visual effect, that's a visual effect, that's a yeah. visual effect. So, whereas you're watching Alita and like, there's several things in it where you're like, okay, how much of that is visual effect? And um, I, I never really got that with a with a Marvel film. So that's why I put Alita over Endgame myself. I agree. And I think if... Um, it's a shame, you know, because the film... Yeah, it did have problems, and I, and I and I do I do agree with Byron on, on on certain levels. I also agree with you, Paul, on on other levels. I I enjoyed it more than Byron did. I I, I do, but I do think the film had its problem, and I do think to this day it's a real shame that that film just didn't it didn't get it right. Whatever it was, it just didn't get it right because obviously the film kind of flopped. It it didn't really generate enough interest or or, or money. Uh, they were obviously planning a trilogy or, or whatever sort of series of films with the way it kind of ended and that's obviously all been dropped. So it's a shame that we wouldn't get to see that progress, you know, or, or, or develop. But that's that's uh, that's how these things go. So I guess it is. But well, hold it, up, hold back some of those useful points, Bear, for the next category, won't you? Don't don't don't. Oh, okay. Put them all out at once. There, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. <laughs> oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, well then, yeah, let's let's let's, let's move on without further ado. I'd say, with that masterful segue, uh, we shall move on to worst film. So this is uh, this is a category where we've decided, yeah, this this film was just not good. This film should possibly not even have been made. Who see? We will see. Uh, so the nominations for just. Worst film of 2019 are Captain Marvel, It Chapter 2, The Haunting of Sharon Tate, The Lion King, Aladdin, and Alita Battle Angel. 
<laughs> and the winner is apologies to Byron it is The Haunting of Sharon Tate and oh, I feel like whatever the correct <laughs> response to all of those are uh, yeah, I feel like I should clarify one thing which is we all put films forward for this and none of them lined up at all. We yeah. all put two different films down, and uh, you can probably guess who put two of these films <laughs> down based on <laughs> based on past performance. Um, but yeah, um, we'll tell you what. Why don't we just do a quick going round and explaining why we all put those forward? So, um, Byron, what are your thoughts on these films? Yeah, so why did I? Why Captain Marvel and why Alita Battle Angel? Well, okay, so <clears throat> um, seeing as how we've just picked up on Alita anyway, I'll just quickly do this because we, we, Bear, you put some good points in there. But I think one of the big problems with Alita was it, first of all, the ending kind of fell off a cliff. Um, and that was a bit of an issue. They obviously grossly overestimated the capability of what they were doing. Um, they got massively. Uh, caught up in like their visual effects and adapting this comic book, as you said, Paul, which is why they can win some categories but then get nominated and torpedoed in others if they're not careful. So um, the other major problem I found was that just the battle between what kind of movie are we trying to make here? Because on the one hand, you've got Robert Rodriguez involved, you know, Sin City and stuff of that nature. He's used to much more adult content and you can sort of see him trying to get his angle in. And then you've got this kind of other comic book more slightly softer youth kind of friendly element to it as well and the two things for me didn't really gel together at all well and so you've got almost a valerian type situation here of inconsistency where i can't lock on to what we're doing here and i just kept going back to it in my notes and thinking there's no what are we doing what what movie are we doing what are we telling here and so that was the problem with alita that i had in terms of like the kind of structural approach to it and the character arc and the the rights and the wrongs of what the character should or shouldn't be doing captain marvel um this is a while ago bear that we that we discussed this one but i had some issues with captain marvel and i'm trying to remember think back to what they were but one of them was that it felt like um the film was largely rescued by samuel l jackson and i thought if that if that character wasn't there that film potentially would have been in real trouble um, it would have really, really struggled, and I, I didn't really like lock into that movie at all. Well, I did. It didn't really. If we, when we looked, when we discussed uh, Wonder Woman um, a while ago, that had much more sort of clearer kind of narrative, and it was much more set and much, I think, easier to sort of track with and get behind and relate to. But the Marvel one, it didn't. It really relied on other actors to kind of carry it. And I think that the Captain Marvel character, it didn't really ever get the ball over the net for me, like conclusively. Uh, so yeah, I kind of struggled with Captain Marvel and I didn't, you know, I feel, I felt it was more of a, a Fury film than a, with Captain Marvel in it than what it kind of should have been. I don't know, what did you think on that one, Bear? Do you remember when we, we discussed yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to, not to be disrespectful, but I couldn't couldn't really disagree with you anymore uh, about captain marvel <laughs> I, I i i i like captain marvel i mean i i know it had its problems but the thing is i'm i'm a, I'm a marvel fan I, I know what you're saying about um fury and i think they kind of i think that was intentional i i, th I think um it it i liked how it kind of um what's the word like unofficially was 
a Fury origin story. It wasn't a Captain Marvel origin story. And I think that was completely intended. I think it was a clever way of bringing in... Um, well, anyway, I mean, you know, it, we, 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 we podcast it. I, I, I didn't mind it. Um, it. It didn't win this category. Um, so let's get on to the thing. I, I definitely don't think it was the worst film of of last year. Um, also, it's worth mentioning that we we used to, we only just remember before we hit record that we used to have a biggest disappointment category as well. Um, and my two um, would certainly fall more into the more disappointed. Again, they they don't fall into the they're not the worst film I saw of last year. But the truth is, I don't think I saw any terrible films last year or any that made me that angry. Um, but the the two I nominated, which were it chapter two. And The Lion King were both certainly um, big disappointments for me. Very big disappointments. Um, it Chapter 2, just because the, the, all, the, all the stuff they'd created, brilliance in the first one, was completely undone in the second one. And it was just like, you, you, you'd, you'd forgotten every, all, the good, all the good and hard work you'd done in the first and just gone, oh, actually, let's just, let's just make it a good old-fashioned CGI mess of uh, jump scares and, and rubbish. And it, and it was like that. The Lion King really, really annoyed me purely because everyone knew it from the word go. Everyone knew it was going to be that. And, and I'm just, I'm annoyed that they, they let it happen. I'm annoyed that they let that. It was, it was, it reminded me so much of when they remade Psycho in the 90s, you know, shot for shot, the same, but in colour. Um, and it was like that. It's like you've remade it practically frame for frame the same, but you've cast actors who can't sing. So you've had to cut parts of songs out. You've, you, you, it just didn't make any, it didn't make any sense to me. It's like, why, why mess with it? I have no problem if you want to take a, a, an animated film and change it and do something different. Fine. Um, and arguably, I know you feel strongly about Aladdin, but I feel like they kind of did <laughs> achieve some of that with Aladdin. Like they did do something a bit different with it. At least the Lion King just felt like a, like a very expensive shot for shot remake of the same film, but not done as well. And I just think, so in that case, what's the point other than to make a shit ton of money? And that really annoys me because that, that I, I don't believe that is what Disney are about. And this is, it's hard to argue that point when they make films like that, because they're kind of, they're kind of making life hard for themselves when they make films like that, you know? Yeah, I get that. I would say I have not seen the Lion King remake because... I don't want to see the Lion King yeah. remake. Don't bother. And, um, <laughs> and I actually watched half of it chapter two on a plane journey. And I got to the point where they were cutting the things off as we were coming down to land. So I was like, okay, well I'll stop there. And I've just not felt the need to go back and finish it. So that probably says you kind of hit the nail on the head with some of it. Mm. It's like, there's nothing in it that makes you want to finish it, um, which is, not a great sign of a, the second half of a two-part film. Um, but yes, so obviously my nominations were Aladdin. And uh, I think I've been trying to think of the best way to describe like what it is I feel about the Aladdin film. I mean, obviously, I am of the age that I went to see Aladdin in the cinema when it was released. Robin Williams as the genie. There is no better casting, period. So whoever was going to be the genie was going to run into some issues. And I will say, I don't think Will Smith did a bad job as that genie. Um, 
The problem is, I see this film as, you know, when a film done well, and then Disney adds a stage show or something to the park, so they have to get people that kind of look like the actors to play the parts mm. every day. <laughs> That's what this film felt like <laughs> to me. It just felt like the, oh, that did well, let's have a cheap imitation <laughs> in the park. I mean, cheap in quotation marks, obviously, but... Uh, Yes, something that will bring people back and they'll watch it because they had fond memories of the first one where I'm over here just thinking, like, just leave it alone. Re-release the original in stunning updated graphics. Like, throw in some extra outtakes that weren't in there before. Like, just kind of do that. Don't mess with it. And so that's why it was my nomination. Uh, and then The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Um... The best thing I can tell you about this film is do not, under any circumstances, watch the damn thing. Because <laughs> it is so bad. Like, like because of a podcast called uh, You Must Remember This, I actually learned some of the whole thing around Charles Manson and the murder of Sharon Tate and, and all of that. Um, and also somewhat touched on in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, but you know, alternate universe, that sort of thing. But this film is about Sharon Tate in the weeks leading up to it, feeling uneasy, having bad dreams, then this stuff happens, and I actually don't care about spoiling this film because you don't want to go see it ever. Um, it's <laughs> It ends with her, based on these dreams of people coming and killing them, defeating the people that came to kill them, and then getting out but it turns out they didn't because you see them looking at their own dead bodies and then they walk away um it makes no sense the acting is awful <laughs> hillary duff plays sharon tate and when i say play i it feels like play it, there's no emotion behind anything like it's just it's bad <laughs> I actually don't have a single good thing to say about it. Like the the reason I watched it was I was going to rip into this on another podcast. That fell through. So now's your chance. <laughs> now's my chance. <laughs> this film is terrible. Don't give it any money. I watched it for free and I'm so glad I didn't put a single cent down. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's interesting. I went <laughs> while you were talking. I went on IMDb because I'd never heard of it, um, and uh, it had a two point nine star rating on IMDb. Which, you, you, in fairness to IMDb, you don't you don't see many films with that no. low a star rating. <laughs> Arguably, the CGI version of Cats had a similar star rating, which I also didn't see. Um, but you yeah. don't see many films, even when a film is bad, like. It has it has some negativity. It normally sticks around sort of four, five, sixes. So you don't see things down in the twos and the threes very often. And when you do, you're like, oh, okay, this it's one of those films that, that, that goes straight to VHS. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't know what possessed the people that made this. Like, like you know, halfway through production, like they must have been like we've got to finish this haven't we <laughs> like they're getting the rushes back just like maybe tomorrow will be better i don't know let's keep trying and then they're just too far in the hole i guess i don't know <laughs> well yeah. um it and yeah it's it sounds it sounds terrible <laughs> it is <laughs> and that's why it won 
<laughs> well, let's move on to um, let's move on to our best film on that on that happy note. So this right. is the, so to, to compare. This is the, the best film of 2019. Sorry, Byron, this is your uh, this is your one. Sorry. Okay. Well, <clears throat> the best film for 2019. The nominations are as follows: Ford versus Ferrari, 1917, and Joker. And the winner for best film 2019 is. Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> didn't he do well? Well, didn't oh. he do well? It needed yes. to happen, didn't it? For a lot of the reasons we said, I think at the beginning, you know, it's uh, and 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 you touched upon it, Byron. I, I think at the beginning we were talking more about Christian Bale's performances, but you know, it'd be nice to talk about the, the film. But you you hit it perfectly in the sense that there's there's certain scenes in this film that just that 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 get you you know, make your heart race, you know, and uh, I think you were your words. And um, it, it was, it was great. Really unexpected treat for me. Plus this film was something like two hours and 40 minutes long. And it, and it didn't, and it didn't feel like that at all. It's the first time I've watched a long film like that, that, that it didn't feel like really long. You know, it, 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 I just kind of flew through it and went, Oh, it's, it's ended. And that's, that was a really good film. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the this is this is tough, man, because all the films in this category they're all really good, and so it becomes very subjective now yeah. when we say one best film, because they really are all like really solid movies. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think we can all agree yeah, on that. Abs absolutely. So it, it's not easy to unpick this one and try to fish out one soul, uh, one to highlight. But um, yeah, so it's it's tough, man. It's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll say um, because of the fact that I'm working a fair bit and uh, I didn't have as much uh, much spare time to, to watch some of these um, coming into this, I actually ended up watching Ford versus Ferrari over five different nights. Oh. Like, yeah, I would, like I would watch it, uh, funnily enough, as Jamie would fall asleep, Jamie, my wife, and... Uh, um, I would be watching it like sometimes with the subtitles on and sometimes I'd go downstairs and watch some more of it before I fell asleep. And so it took me that long to get through it because it's a longer film. Um, but every single night I was like, okay, sit down, play. Like, I just, yeah. I, I was drawn into it. I had to see what was coming next. And I think if a film is able to hold your attention over a week and it takes you that long to get through it not because you don't want to watch it you just don't have the time but you just i was trying to put it in as much as i could so yeah that um i think that shows just how well made this film is and how well paced it was as well like i seem to get a major moment and like a fun bit and some good acting every single uh, time i would sit down and watch it and uh it just adds up as you go through the entire film and uh um and I, I personally think, uh, you know, anyone that hasn't seen it, I won't say what happened at the end, but I think the way they handled the end mm. was the best way they could have done it too. And it was just a, um, just a great ending to that overall film. I would urge anyone who watches it because obviously it's a true story. You know, like I was chatting to my dad. You know, he said, "Well, I, I know the story. I, I know all the story about the race and everything else that surrounded it, and and all the all the stuff that happens within the film." Um, he said, I, I just know the story. So all I'd say is if for anyone who hasn't seen it, like 
when I hadn't, I deliberately, because I like to sit there on IMDb looking at trivia and Wikipedia and, and, and obviously it's difficult with a film like this because it's a true story. You're immediately going to get onto the page of what actually happened in, in reality. So I deliberately didn't go on anything whilst watching this because I just wanted to watch it. Um, and I thought, I, I didn't want to know what happened at the end because I just thought I'll, I'll just take this as a as a as an unknown story that I don't know, which is what I think heightened the ending for me. Um, just going on something you said, Byron, you are right. This is this is um, this is a difficult one because I voted for Joker as well, and 1917 was also my third choice. So we all kind of honed in on the same the same few, and the only thing that did it for me honestly, is the fact that I could probably, I reckon I could watch this film at least 10 times and not get bored of it. But I don't think I could do that with 1917. And I, I, I definitely couldn't do that with Joker. I found, I found Joker amazing, but hard, a hard watch because it's, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not it's an easy, traumatic. They're, they're both very difficult films to watch. So I solely went on the watchability. They're, they're all amazing films, but I'm waiting for the day that like my wife wants to sit and watch this because I'll be like, yeah, it's in. Let's watch it. Let's watch it now because <laughs> I, I want to watch it again. Um, and, I, and I think that that's a hard thing to come by now. A film that you'll happily watch over and over again is, um, is, is a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, I think rightly winner. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, I think only one of these movies by the design of it could have a sequel that would you do, you'd want to tell. And that would be the Joker movie where mm. you want to tell the next piece of the story. I think the interesting thing about Joker is you got a different take on it, but it was within a framework that you could sort of understand, only it was just really great the way it was done. And then it got to the point where you couldn't now not make a sequel because of the turnover of it, you know, because it creates mm. such a massive impact. It's one of those things where it's, it's an unstoppable force now. So it's mm. almost going to get a sequel whether or not. They'll just throw money at it now to make it happen. Like there's literally no number that they won't throw at phoenix to, to do the job now there's no number the number would be so high even dogs couldn't hear it that's how high the number would be right and, and so they'll get it right but you can't necessarily say that of the other movies because ford versus ferrari which you won't spoil but that obviously concludes in such a way that that you wouldn't do that with that one and of course 1917 is timelined at 1917 right before 1918 and the armistice yeah. so that naturally sort of resolves itself in, in the way it is. Um, I found 1917 was interesting, as I said on the podcast, because it's such an unusual version of a war movie. And you're kind of getting two movies in one. And you see some really like bizarre things that happen in the movie, which just kind of make you do a double take of like, am I actually seeing this right now? Is this what's actually happening? Um, and that's why I found 1917 so captivating, because you see bizarre stuff going on that you're like, this this just can't be. But interestingly, when, when you listen to interviews, for people that have been to war, or even if you meet them and have dinner with them, as I have on rare occasions, you actually hear stories kind of like some of the stuff that you see in that movie, and they're like, that sort of thing actually can happen, and it's that weird. Um, that's why I thought 1917 was such an unusual piece of cinema to have as well, you know? Agreed. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and I, I will say, I, I, read, uh, I read something about 1917 where it's like, as you say, the individual scenes, the individual things that happen, very much things that, have happened before or you know similar to things like that that, that's all fine um the the weird thing though is anyone that has studied any sort of um you know 
battle mechanics and the way that people were thinking at those time, the way the generals were talking. Th- everyone says the same thing, which is there is no way that any general uh, would have sent someone to stop that advance because of how few people would have been there for that. They It would have had to have been something that would have broken the line if they'd done it. Then someone would have been sent. But yeah, the, the entire film is actually based on an idea that wouldn't have happened. But we did get such a phenomenal film because of that. Mm. So I, I'm fine with that bit yeah. of hand waving. <laughs> Should we uh, should we move on to our final category? Yeah, I, I feel like we should. Um, and uh, really, it's anyone's game with this next one. It is uh, Best Cinematic Experience. Uh, so yes, and the nominees are, in no particular order again, we have Avengers Endgame, Alita Battle Angel, Avengers Endgame, Ford vs. Ferrari, and Avengers Endgame. And I think it will come as a huge surprise to everybody to know that the winner is Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, but, how could it? How could it not be? I, I just yeah. don't know. I mean, th- this is the first one I filled out on the on the form. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't know how it couldn't have been. The, the, I've, yeah. I've never seen a film like that it, it, as an adult ever. You know. No, yeah, and I and I. Uh, no, I've said it on um, on the Blockbuster podcast. I think you guys even said it on yours. Like, um, this film is the culmination of yeah. this many films, this long, this build up, and like, and at the end of Infinity War, yeah, everyone there was, you could hear a pin drop, and like people were just walking out. Like I walked out of Infinity War. And didn't even really say anything for a while. I just kind of sat there, just like, okay, like, where's this going from here? And then we got Endgame, and it went all the way through. And then the last, like, 45 minutes, hour to 45 minutes of that film is just pure fan service. Yeah. And this is how you make these films. <laughs> this is just like every moment in that final fight was just phenomenal. The, the, crowd was amazing i mean i i I got very lucky with this film because i would the day after this film was coming out i was flying from where i am in ohio to meet my in-laws and my wife and daughter who went up the day before because i couldn't get the time off to disney and i was going to be there for five days and then i was going to come back and then i wasn't going to get to see the film until the following weekend so I was going to be, as someone who lives on the internet, uh, unable to go online for yeah, a solid course, two weeks. And I was going to be in Disney after the film had come out without having seen the film. So I was not looking forward to it. And then it turned out that um, they, my family was not going to be leaving. Until they were going to go with me, but then they got the option of going up ahead of time. So they left Thursday night. I managed to find a showing. I got in to see it that night and I was like, oh, I'm so happy. I saw that. <laughs> this would have been just impossible for me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was without a doubt the best cinematic experience I had of the entirety of 2019, possibly of my cinema going experience. Really, the only thing that came too close to it would have been 
as I said, probably Infinity War, um, just from kind of way it felt, and then also Avatar, like you know, plot's terrible, but um, the, it was just a visual spectacle. It was just phenomenal to watch. So yeah, I think those those are mine. Uh, yeah, what about you guys? I I agree. I mean, I, I I like you. I I had to go and see the midnight showing of this because uh, there was I knew I knew there'd be people on Facebook that would just that would just spoil it, and I thought I I can't. I can't have this book. So I just, I just went on my own at midnight to my local cinema, um, dehydrated myself. So I didn't have to go to the toilet and uh, <laughs> sat there for three and a half hours while the film was on and watched the, the whole way. Yeah, the only from, way. from midnight to half past three in the morning. Um, and, uh, it was, um, I mean, it was, it was brilliant. It was, it was absolutely. And like you say, I, I, I don't care. I, I don't think I've seen a film like that in, in, in my life. It, 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 it will not with that effect. I mean, the only thing, I've heard people compare it to with the Infinity War thing is is like Empire Strikes Back, you know when when people went to see Empire Strikes Back in 1980, which I I didn't because um, I wasn't <laughs> around. Um, it, it, it had that same dark, you know, it, it it ends in a dark place, you know, and arguably, I still to this day I think Infinity War slightly pushes ahead for me on terms of it might just be the better film, just, oh. but I I think. I think Endgame is so much more exciting because like you say, it's the fan service. It's the end of that 11 year journey. And, and you think back to like how they started with Iron Man 1 and so many things had to just go right for them to get this franchise moving. And so many things could have just, I mean, they took a huge risk casting Robert Downey Jr., you know, off, straight off the bat, you know, and it's yeah. like that could have gone wrong. Any any of the rest of it gone wrong, but the moment they started making money, two, three, four films in, they were obviously onto a winner, and then this is the result. It's like you think back to that that early risk taking stage, where they didn't really know it was going to go this far, and I just think that that's why it was such a special film for me, um, and it was done so well, and it was a great story, and to just to see that much stuff happen on screen, you're like oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and um, also just to slightly build on what you were saying about uh, like. Yeah, all started with Robert Downey Jr. and the film quite literally ends where it begins. Yeah, because the yeah, the final sound of the film is him hammering together that suit. Um, yeah, and and of course, I don't know if we're going to get a film now that breaks its box office record unless ticket prices soar ridiculously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. interesting, isn't yeah. it? Because it, I mean, it, it everyone says it could be done, but it's you know. The reason that did like that is because it was an eleven-year story. You're never going to do that with a one-off film. You, you, but but they could, you know, they might do bigger, badder. I don't know, Byron. What we, we've 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 owned this conversation. <laughs> you 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 go for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, the honest answer, guys, is I don't know if we'll ever have a scenario um, quite like that again in our movie viewing lifetime, where, like you say, the timeline of casting contract filming all the meticulous sort of positioning all the way through the story has taken so very long it's so painstaking i mean god forbid if one of your leading actors had an unfortunate death in that timeline i mean what what are we doing here you know like you say robert downey jr was a risk um, in that regard but if if something had happened in your half a decade into your decade-long plan that you've got mapped yeah. out that is a major problem so it's a it's a it's a logistically it's a big 
it's a big ask, isn't it? So you're right. I don't know in that way if it will, if it will happen again. I'm convinced that the record will be broken sometime in the future, but I don't know uh, who's going to break it. I know that Cameron will have a run at it. Um, I don't know how it's going to go on these follow-up avatars. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm no. not sure who, who or what will next get it. I don't know. Um, I, I, I won't even say anything on that because I don't want to say and get it wrong. Personally, really wrong. I think the Avatar ship has sailed and, I, and I'm always surprised when I look on IMDb yeah. and I see like four or five sequels, there, sequels in the pipeline. I'm like, you know, yeah. you made this film over 10 years ago. Like, get, get on with it, you know, get, get on with it. And You've never... Bear, you've never ever forgiven him for making that movie with the whole 3D thing. Ever since you got that migraine, you've hated that. I just don't Bear has never ever let him live that down. Yeah, he see he never let he has never let that drop since. And it's not because I just I didn't think Avatar was a very good film. That was that's the problem. I just don't think. And you know, when before Endgame did it, you know, you used to say to people, Avatar is the highest grossing film ever. You know, name one character from it, and it was like. I don't know. Name one actor from it, you know, and like no, no one could. And that's a, that's I just don't understand that. I, I don't understand how a film can make that much money. But no one really when, whenever you say to people, what's your favorite film? No one ever says Avatar. I mean, I know you just did, Paul, but, you know, <laughs> but, but most people don't. No, 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 most no, no, people no, no. say Star Wars or The Godfather. You know, I've never I've never heard someone say like, oh, it's got to be Avatar. I, lo I love everything about it. Oh, damn. Yeah. No. We're just talking about money. You're, you know, we're uh, just talking about money, really, aren't we? Yeah. Just numbers. Yeah. So. Well, that, I, I mean, the, the problem, obviously, with, with Avatar, you know, in this show where we're going on about films of 2019, is that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the plot is heavily borrowed from previous films, like, you know, Dancing with Wolves, Fern Gully, you know, yeah. those sorts of things. The MacGuffin is literally called Unobtainium, uh, but it is basically the most expensive tech demo ever devised. And it does fantastically at that. So, yeah, it, it is definitely worth praising for the visuals alone. And if you can get over the plot, you're going to enjoy it. And uh, I personally am such a visual uh, person that that's why I really enjoyed it. Uh, and for the record, my favorite film is The Shawshank Redemption. Thank you very much. There, Thank there you we go. Shove there, Avatar there, in there. There, there we go. Yeah. But that's, that's the correct answer. You know, Avatar's the wrong answer, so that's fine. But yeah, anyway, Avengers Endgame. It's <laughs> the best in yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, as we said, I, I genuinely don't think we're, we're ever going to get something quite like that. No. Unless, unless somehow the DC <laughs> comic well, group fix whatever the hell's going on with them. Um, yeah, I don't but... think there's any way in hell that's going to happen. But, but there is a chance that Marvel could do it again. <laughs> That's that's the thing, and because yeah. the 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 a lot again, a lot of things have got to go right because there's a lot of negatives to be said for what I was going to say was Marvel could do it again in the sense that they wouldn't have to take as many risks now if they were going to start a new a new saga now, which they've which they've hinted at doing, and people have sort of guessed where it's going to go, and they've also got new they've acquired new characters that they can introduce. They could start a new ten year story, couldn't they? You know, um, but and and but and the positive is that Marvel are now in such a position where 
they can basically they can have anyone they can do anything they can they can achieve anything but that's also the negative <laughs> is the fact that they don't have to fight anymore and i think in those early stages the fact that they fought for those actors and fought for those like you said Byron, those contracts and those early day films i think that's what paved the way i think you know, we don't want to be in a situation where they're surrounded by the the yes man that we talk about, you know, like where they're just like, well, we're Marvel, we can do what we want, you know, so so make it because then you'll just end up with a load of rubbish, you know, I guess. But um, they could do it again, yeah. I think, if, if they if they keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, I, I do think there is one thing they absolutely have to do now that unfortunately Stanley has passed on and uh, ceased to be and etc etc monty python um but what they need to do now that they technically have deadpool you might have seen this floating around the internet Mm. they need to have deadpool doing the stan lee cameos in full deadpool costume with the stan lee glasses and a stan lee mustache (laughs) he needs to be the new cameo and you know ryan reynolds would do it but uh somehow i think they're not quite ready for that oh well i think (laughs) People would get upset, wouldn't they, about it? But yes, it it would be a uh, be eye catching, certainly. Yep. <laughs> Is there uh, anything else you'd like to add about uh, Avengers Endgame before we uh, end this um, our official I, unofficial awards? Yeah, I think uh, I think I've said everything that wouldn't be a rehash of past <laughs> podcasts. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, if if you guys have got nothing else, I think we should probably let the good listeners go at this point. Fair enough. Well, it's been it's always a pleasure, um, as always, and uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, let's next time let's try to get round to it in um, earlier on in the year. Although next year is going to be an interesting one because you know not much has come out <laughs> this year, and, and a few films have come out sort of straight to straight to download but it might be worth i don't know it might be worth expanding our rules out next year because i don't know if we're going to have a lot to uh to discuss in terms yeah, of i've got my i think i've potentially got my best up-and-coming actor nomination for for the next one i want to know who it is <laughs> yeah. can you tell us oh I bet you do want to know who it is don't you okay yeah <laughs> instead of, off the air yeah, instead of best cinematic <laughs> experience it'll be best coronavirus viewing yes <laughs> yeah we made it a category like for like that. lockdown lockdown television you know what did you get yeah, um, yeah. and can it, and, and if it's going to be that wide can it be anything i'm sure we can adapt can it literally it be to cater for this the circumstance but we'll we'll leave that till next year but let's try and get to it in a february or march next year but it's always a pleasure to do these and um and yeah uh, so th- thanks for thanks for making it happen guys and um and I guess we'll we'll sign off. All right. See you next time.